Okay, partner, I'm going to do my best. You do your best. We got this. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. What a great thrill to be back with you guys. Uh, Darla and I have missed you. It was actually back in uh, 2020, February of 2020, was the last time we were here. Oh, and hi, everybody online. Good to see you. And uh, good for you to see me. <laughs> anyway, and... Uh, 2020, February 2020, we came, we had a wonderful service here, and then if you guys remember, right around February of 2020, a big fog rolled into our country, and we had a calendar, uh, we had our schedule for, the, uh, for that year, 2020, we had a lot of speaking engagements around the country, around the area, and one by one, they canceled and canceled and canceled and canceled. I sat at home for 18 months, and I thought, oh, I wonder what this is all about. You know, I, I thought, well, maybe, you know, I never had a plan for ministry anyway, so maybe I, it's all God's plan. Maybe, maybe I'm done. Maybe I'm retired. Maybe I got to go start uh, looking for a fishing pole. <laughs> or maybe it's a sabbatical. I don't know what it was. Well, I, I know now because 2022 showed up, and now sure enough, uh, people started letting people get, wanted to have people come talk to groups of people in rooms again. And uh, it just began to fill back up. And I realized God orchestrated, well, I don't, I'm not saying he brought COVID into this world so that I could have a sabbatical. I'm not going to go that far. <laughs> but I did realize that sometimes you just got to let, you just got to go with things and see what God is going to do with it. The, 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 things have been transformed through the last several years. Churches have been transformed. You know, we've, we've really figured out how to cultivate and make good use of this technology so that those of you that are at home there and, and they're watching, you, you can be comfortable with that. You're gonna, you know, you get the same message that those sitting in the room here get. And there's just a lot of positive things that God does even in not-so-positive situations. Can we agree with that? Yes. All right, anyway, hey, for those of you who have not seen me before, not heard me before, let, let, let me at least address the big issue, the big issue here, because you're looking at me. You got the same thing going on in your mind that everybody does the first time they meet me. You're asking yourself, how can that man be missing two legs and one arm and still be so incredibly good looking? Huh? <laughs> huh? It's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> hey, I've got some wonderful uh, stories for you this morning. I've got a great message for you. I, I think that God is going to, to let us all hear today. But before we do that, I do need to do this. I, I need to wear this to keep you folks honest. I need to wear this to keep you honest because I know what you're going to do. See, you're going to leave here today. You're going to go home. You're going to be talking to friends. You're going to be talking to family. You're going to say... You should have been in church today. There was a man there with a handicap, and he was really funny. Okay, let me explain it to everybody else. <laughs> I figure if you're going to leave this room and tell people that you saw a man with a handicap... I figure if you're going to leave here, <laughs> did you just get it? <laughs> so 
This is why we repeat it twice, okay? <laughs> I figure if you're going to leave here and tell people you saw a man with a handicap to keep you from lying, I'd better bring a handy cap. This right here, friends, this is the only handicap that I have. This is the only handicap that I have. The other thing I was joking about a little bit earlier, you know, my missing legs, my missing arm. These are not a handicap. These are not a handicap. Oh, they are an adjustment. Okay, friends, I'll admit that. I've had to make several adjustments in my life. And I know without a doubt that every single one of you sitting in this room watching online have had to make a few adjustments in your life also. But no matter what we go through, no matter what we might lose, no matter what adjustments we have to make, it will never make us handicapped. Because the only handicap I have and the only handicap that any one of you will ever have is the handicap we put on ourselves. And handicaps are the things we put on ourselves that keep us from being who God intended us to be. Because God does have a plan, have a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for your life, said the Lord. Now, there are plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Their plans to give you hope and the future. God has a unique, individual, distinct plan for each and every one of our lives. And I believe that a real handicap is something that we put upon ourselves that hinders God from fulfilling that plan. And it doesn't have anything to do with legs. It doesn't have anything to do with arms. It doesn't have anything to do with wheelchairs. No, the handicaps I'm talking about can be something as simple as an attitude. Attitude. I've struggled lately trying to figure out how to exactly express what attitude is. It's kind of one of those, I can't get my hand on it and show it to you. So I've come up with this illustration, and maybe it's a good one, maybe it's not. Think of your attitude as the window that you see the world through. Think of your attitude as a window. And you're looking out this window. You're looking through this attitude. And if your attitude is ungrateful, if your attitude is complaining, if your attitude is judgmental, if your attitude is just grumpy, no good, hey, <laughs> that's what your world is going to look like. That's exactly what you're going to see every day. That's a handicap. It cripples you. It's disabling you, keeping you from freely fulfilling God's purpose. Now, on the other hand, think, about, think of this attitude. Think of your attitude as an attitude of thankfulness, appreciation, praise, looking for the good in people, expecting the good. And that is what you're seeing the world through. Totally changes your life. Nothing about the world changed. You just changed your attitude. Another handicap we put on ourselves keeps us from being who God intended us to be, low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. 
I talk in a lot of places. I talk in a lot of schools, public schools. You got 12, 13, 1400 teenagers sitting in a gymnasium on the bleachers and I'm mentioning low self-esteem. And they're getting crushed because they struggle with it. Quite honestly, can we be honest? And can, we, can we be open in this room, adults? Can we be free? We all struggle with it. And what I tell them is, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I haven't gone to school for any of this. But I think one of the biggest causes of low self-esteem is comparing ourselves to other people. It's easy to do, isn't it? and the wonderful schools they go to, and the wonderful communities you live in, and the great church you attend. Sometimes it's easy to come, and, you know, we don't feel wonderful. We don't feel great. And I, and I assure you, that's common. It's okay to have those days occasionally. But when you string them together day after day after day after day, they are going to wear you down. And then you begin to look around and you wish you were somebody else. Man, I wish I had their clothes. Wish I had their house. Wish I had their job. <laughs> wish I was as skinny as her. I wish I was as big as him. And you kind of see what happens, friends, when we start doing that? We end up not feeling good about who we are. What I tell those teens is I tell them, I tell them, young person, you don't need to be like anybody else in this school, in this community, on this planet. I, I need to remind them and us that we are one of a kind. We are unique. That God created us and developed us and designed us as individuals. Accept who you are. Oh, here's a concept for you. How about accepting the things that make you different from everybody else? Accept the things that make you different from everybody else. Now, folks, this is something I know a little bit about. Do you know what I've learned? I have learned that when you can accept the things that make you different from everybody else in the room, it makes it a whole lot easier for everybody else in the room to accept you also. I gave you a little example of this. The little joke at my opening wasn't just to make you laugh. It was so that you would understand that I am okay with who I am. That I don't have any problem with this body. And when I made that joke and you laughed, you got it. And your attitude toward me changed because you realized that I was okay with this. And when you realized that I was okay with this, you were able to relax and be okay with it also. Oh, I tell those teens, the same is true for you. When you can accept the things that are making you different from everybody else in this room, it's going to allow everybody else in this room to accept you also. Accept your beauty, your God-given beauty. Don't think that you've got to shape it, conform it, paint it, 
to look like something that marketers and advertisers are telling you is beautiful? Seriously? <laughs> we got a smart group of teenagers coming up right now, this generation. See, they get it. They know that those beauty companies are a scam. They know that they really don't want them to feel good about the way they look. That's not the marketing plan, friends. The marketing plan for beauty companies and advertisers in that field are to keep you dissatisfied with the way you look. That's how they move product. I mean, I don't know if they actually have written that down on the paper somewhere, but trust me, that is what's talked about in their boardroom. We got to keep them off edge. We got to keep them uncomfortable because we got to move stuff. I'm seeing a generation coming up that gets it. That's encouraging, right? They're getting it. Accept your own beauty. Accept the things that make you different. Anything else, it's a handicap. It's crippling you. It's holding you back. Another handicap we talk about that we put on ourselves. These are things that I'm talking about that we do. We allow them into our lives. We bring them in. Nobody forces this on us. That other handicap is prejudice. Prejudice. And if you need a definition, I'll give you one. Judging other people. Putting down other people. For any reason. I mean, we all think about shade of our skin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. How about the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they vote? And we judge other people based on these things. That's prejudice. Friends, do you really want to be the judge? Do you? There is a day of judgment coming. You know that, right? There is a day of judgment coming, but you don't want to be that judge. There is a God in heaven who will settle that. And uh, we can just take our hands off of that. Now, when I tell you not to judge other people, I'm not telling you that you have to accept everything that people do. You don't have to accept that. Sin is sin. That's just, you know, we can't, we can't change that. But we can change the way we react and treat people, regardless of who they are and what they're doing. I believe anything less is a handicap, cripples us, disables us. Okay, last handicap I want to talk about, and then we're going to move on to other stories, all right? Alcohol and other drugs. No, not just alcohol and other drugs, any controlling behavior. And there is a whole list of controlling behaviors that I could start uh, mouthing out right now, but some of them, quite honestly, I'm embarrassed to say in church. Let's just say controlling behaviors, alcohol and other drugs. We allow these things to come into our lives. We allow these things to come into our lives. And what happens is they begin to control us. They begin to take over. And if you've never struggled with addiction, if you've never struggled with some of these here behaviors that you just, they just really get you, you may not understand what I'm saying. But you can get to a point with these kind of behaviors where everything you do is filtered through that thing and how it relates to this thing. It's a handicap. It cripples us. It disables us. Keeps us from being who God intended us to be. So, friends, friends, I'm not going to be offended when you leave here today and you tell people you saw a man with a handicap, okay? I am not offended. Describe it properly, please. It was blue. <laughs> and it had white letters. Everybody got that? <laughs> All right. Wow. 
I've missed you guys. I got to tell you, you know, I missed your worship, man. I love the worship service that you guys have here at church, you know, and, and, uh, ah, it's beautiful, you know, and, 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 and I know online it's really cool too, you know, but if you get a chance, come out and watch it live, <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, you get into it. Anyway, hey, so I need to tell you my story, okay? And for some of you, it's going to sound like, oh man, I'm, the TV's stuck on the History Channel and I can't find the remote. But here you are. I was born in Ohio, born in Ohio. Come from a relatively large family. There were two girls, five boys. I'm the youngest of those five boys. No, that is not what happened to me. (laughs) Our father, and I really want to be respectful of my father. I really do. So the most respectful way I can uh, describe my father to you is this. Our father struggled with alcohol and drugs. Our father struggled with alcohol and drugs. Not a great home to grow up in, friends. When the person that is supposed to be in charge, the person that is supposed to be guiding, leading, directing, showing the way, will allow something like alcohol or drugs to take over their life to the point where it diminishes their ability to be a decent parent or a decent spouse (laughs) or a decent person. When I was 16 years old, I went back to wake my father up one morning and I found his body dead of an overdose. He was 41. That's incredibly young. I mean, it's more incredibly young to me now than it was then, trust me, but 41, his life is over. I truly believe my father was a good man. I really do. I honestly, sincerely believe my father was a good man. You just couldn't tell it when the alcohol or the the drugs were controlling his life. My mom packed me and my little sister up, moved us out to the Pacific Northwest, the great state of, they didn't hear you online, the great state of, Anybody want to guess what the first thing I noticed about this state was? A lot. (laughs) Rains. A lot. That was not enough for my mother, though. She moved us to Hoquiam. (laughs) For those of you that are watching from far away, let me tell you the two things you need to know about Hoquiam. One is is how to pronounce it. Hoquiam. Second thing is this. In the state of Washington, it rains a lot. In the town of Hoquiam, it rains a lot more. Exactly. And this is where I'm at. I'm 16 years old, right? 16 years old, I'm walking rainy streets. 16 years old, walking rainy streets, searching for the same things we all searched for. 16 years old, walking rainy streets, searching for acceptance. Acceptance. Somewhere, someplace I could go, take my little mask off, Quit pretending to be everybody else on this planet. And people like me. You know, they just like, they like me. 
16 years old, walking rainy streets, searching for somebody to talk to. No, seriously, what I'm looking for is somebody that will listen. Somebody that I could sit down with, look them in the eye, and tell them everything that's going on inside of me. Do you remember those years in your life? Teenage years. They are messed up. <laughs> Man, so much stuff is changing in your life. So much stuff is changing inside. And, you know, plus I had my own personal story. I was raised in a little town in Ohio that when I went to school, I knew everybody and who their siblings were. Which is a small little country, town, country school. Knew everybody until I was 16. And then I moved across the country to some cloudy, rainy place I couldn't even pronounce the name of. Just buried my father. Hey, I had stuff going on. And I needed somebody to talk to. But it couldn't just be anybody. It had to be somebody I could sit down, tell them what's going on inside of me with the confidence that they will not tell another soul on this planet. It's what we need. It's what we all need. Definitely what our teenagers need. You need to find that trusted outlet that you can go ahead and begin to talk about it. Talk about it. Choose wisely, though, who you're, who you're sharing that information with. What I tell those teens in the high school, he says, guarantee you social media is not the place. <laughs> you know, you might want to just rethink before you push that post button. 16 years old, walking rainy streets, searching for somebody to talk to, somebody that would listen. 16 years old, I'm walking rainy streets, searching for somebody to say, I love you. I love you. With no strings attached. I love you. And there's nothing you're ever going to need to do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you will ever do that will make me love you less. I love you and you can bank on it. I'm 16 years old, walking rainy streets, searching for the same things we all searched for. And honestly, some of us are still searching, aren't we? Walking rainy streets, searching. Well, I started searching in the wrong places. <laughs> I started going to these parties, right? Started going to the parties, started drinking, started drugging. Oh, man, you know, when you get on that road, the parties, the drinking, the drugs, that road's never going to spiral up. That road is only going to spiral down. And this becomes my story. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because when I start my story off when I was 16, uh, you don't have time to hear every year. We're going to jump forward. I'm 21 years old now. 21 years old. My brother and I, we left a party we should have never gone to. We'd been putting stuff in our bodies we should have never taken. We end up out on a road we shouldn't be on. 
car is going around some corner, the car goes off the road, hits a power pole, slides down an embankment, comes to rest at the bottom of a hill. I got out of the car, my brother got out of the car, we looked at each other to see if we'd gotten hurt. No cuts, no scratches, nothing. We're laughing and joking about it now, right? I'm 21, he's 24. We're laughing, we're joking about it, because this is going to make a great story Monday morning at the mill. And we walked away from that crashed car unharmed. Sometimes the most dangerous thing we do is walk away unharmed. You know, every time we didn't get caught, every time we didn't get hurt, just made us more confident, made us more bold. So now we're thinking, you know, we can push the envelope a little bit more. We can get away with things a little bit more. There's another group of people I talk to. In fact, I'll go to speak to them this afternoon. They get picked up for drinking and driving. And then part of their mandate, part of their little court thing is that you have to go listen to somebody who's been impacted by that type of decisions. And so you go in, and it's a room. Uh, there, there'll be about anywhere from a dozen to 20 people in the room. And I'll tell them a version of this story, a little more details than what you're going to get. But I will get to this part. And we walked away unharmed. And I'll ask them point blank because now we're, we've got a relationship. They're, they're trusting me a little bit and they're being open. I'll say, how many of you walked away unharmed a few times? How many of you got home a few times before this time you got caught? All the hands go up. You see, because the deal is this. You don't know what's going to happen next. And this is true with sin, too. If you want to relate it to something, maybe you can kind of, how, well, how, what, if you want to put this into your own life, this is something I can tell you. Even with sin, with any type of behavior like that, the thing is, just because you got away with it last time has absolutely no connection to what happens next time. They are two individual events. But we get confident now because we've got a system, we've got a method. You don't know. You don't know. My brother and I didn't know. We didn't know we hit a power pole. We didn't know that when we hit the pole, the cross arm snapped off, and four power lines came into the road. I scampered up the hill in front of my brother, walked out onto the highway, and when I did, my left arm hit one of those downed power lines. And I fell on my knees. And you folks are very familiar with the way that electricity interacts with the human body. It will enter your body where you make contact with it. It will then leave your body where you are making contact with something else. And for me, that something else was my knees pressed against the ground. And 12,500 volts of electricity came through my arm, surged through my body, and literally exploded my knees away into the ground. I collapsed. I fell forward. I lay across the rest of the wires, and they just continued to burn the front of my body. I found out in a flash that sometimes you will not walk away. 
I woke up in a hospital in Seattle, Harborview Medical Center, Harborview Burn Unit. I woke up in a hospital in Seattle that would be my home for the next six months. And I don't want to tell you a lot about those six months. I will tell you this. The first morning, a doctor came in the room, put a clipboard in front of my face and said, Bob, I'm sorry, you have to sign this release form. We need to amputate your left arm. I looked over to see what he was talking about, and from fingertip to elbow, it was like crisp and curled up. And then from elbow to shoulder, it was swollen up to like three times its size, and fluids had backed up. Fluids had to figure out how to reroute, and they hadn't done that yet, so things just keep swelling up. And the, and the doctor made it clear. He was pretty plain about it. He said, young man, if we don't take this arm off this morning, we'll most likely have to take more off tomorrow. Signed the form. He came back two weeks later for my right leg. He said, you know, it's only held onto your body by the back flap of skin. You know, it's, we're, I didn't understand everything he said about that. All I knew was it hurt <laughs> really, really bad. And when he made it clear that we weren't going to save it, Whatever can bring that amount of pain in my life, I need to do my best to get rid of. There are some people I tell that to, some groups I speak to. That's the most powerful thing I say. Whatever can bring that amount of pain into my life, I need to do my best to get away from. I signed a form. I fought my, for my left leg for several months before giving it up. Six months in the hospital, the first three months were down on the burn unit dealing with the amputations and the grafting. Then they moved me up to more like, uh, you know, the orthopedic part where they were going to retrain me. Retrain me. I was 21 years old. And I'm learning how to feed myself again learning how to dress myself, learning how to take care of my personal needs all by myself. And I got out of the hospital and went right back onto the same road that brought me in there. Barked back to the parties, back to the drinking, back to the drugs. How can I do that? How could I do that? I looked in a mirror. I looked in a mirror. I was 21 years old and I'm looking at stumps where I used to have limbs. I'm looking at scars where I used to have skin. I thought, oh, nobody's going to accept me. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to say, I love you. when I look like this. And you know, instead of sitting up and say, hey, this is me. This is me. And if you have a problem with the way I look, I agree with you. You have a problem. 
but I don't. And if this is uncomfortable for you, if this is disturbing you, you need to know something. I cannot change the way I look. So you're going to have to work on the way you see. See, instead of saying something that cool, because that was kind of cool, wasn't that cool? I didn't say that. (laughs) I just went out and bought a bunch of dope and some beer. It was instant friends. As long as I had that garbage in my pocket, there were going to be people around me. As long as I had that garbage in my pocket, people wanted to know where I was going. They wanted to know where I'd be. As long as I had that garbage in my pocket. But when my pockets were empty, I would so often find myself alone. I needed a good friend. I needed a strong friend. I met one. I met one. When I met this friend, this friend made me realize I had a few... Does everybody remember what we were talking about earlier? Handicaps. I had a few handicaps, but not my missing legs and my missing arm. It was my attitude, my self-esteem. Now, if you would have known me then, you might not have known the way I felt about my looks. Because I could self-medicate enough that I could have a dumb smile on my face all day long. It was my prejudice. It was the alcohol. It was the drugs. I admitted I had a problem. And I asked for help. And this friend took me by the hand to get help. This friend took me to a church. Sunday morning church. And friends, do not be offended by what I'm going to say in the next three minutes. Okay, just kind of hang in there. This friend takes me to a church, Sunday morning church, right? We come in through the back. I see the back row. I said, I think this is far enough. Rolled over to the back row, got out of my wheelchair, sat on that back row, got my little 25-year-old attitude going. I'm thinking, what kind of help am I going to get in a place like this? My friend just sat down next to me. You see, my friend knew that God was actually powerful enough to reach the back row of a church. In fact, you guys want good news this morning? You good news people? God is powerful enough to reach wherever you are. Seriously, wherever you are. I don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't care what roads you've been on. I don't care how dark your world seems. He can reach you. We see it all the time. We see it all the time. We do prison ministry and we'll go into, into prisons and they'll take us back. I don't care how many times you go in to do prison ministry. You hear the locking mechanism behind you every time it drops. Yep, you know, you're, 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 you're not turning around and getting out without somebody opening that door. And you get further in and it gets darker and darker spiritually. 
What's interesting to me is no matter how far they take us, no matter how dark it is, you will find people shining with the light of Jesus Christ. Shining with the light of Christ. Let me tell you something about the light of Christ. The light of Christ will always shine brightest in the darkest places. Always. It's a property of light. You go into a closet, you turn on the light, and you pull out your phone, and you know you look at the face of your phone. Sometimes you can barely read it if you don't have the right backlighting on it. You don't even notice the light of that phone. Turn that light off in the closet. Look at that same phone. It brightens the whole place. Same light. The light of Christ shines brightest in the darkest places. I tell you this. Because there are some in this room, there are some listening to me. It's getting dark inside of their head. The discouragement, the depression, the anxiety, the fear. And I don't know who anything about anybody in this room or, in, or who's listening to me on Zoom or on the, online. But what I do know that there are some that are hearing this message. They're even considering in their minds right now that they don't want to be on this planet anymore. Stop. Right now, stop. It's dark. Whisper his name. Jesus. Just whisper it. And I guarantee you that there is going to be a beam of light that is going to shine in front of you that will illuminate a step that you can take that will lead to life. It's just going to be one step today. And then the next step will come in, and the next one. Before you do anything that you cannot reverse, whisper his name. sitting on the back row of a church on a Sunday morning. The man is preaching, talking, and I'm trying not to pay attention. But when you only have one hand, you're only going to get one ear covered at a time. Anyway, (laughs) he said something I just could not turn off. He said, God loves you and accepts you just as you are. You comfortable with that, church? God loves you and accepts you just as you are. We'll finish that statement in a little bit, but we're going to leave it right there. And I'm hearing him say this, and I'm thinking, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. Oh, hey, and I've been to church. When I was in Ohio and there was uh, several years of sobriety in my father's life, he plugged us into a Mennonite church back there. Mennonite church, that's where I first heard about Jesus. Anabaptist. God loves you. That's where I believed. Now, I've already told you about a a road I took that, that wandered far off of that path. 
But he said, but, and, and I knew about miracles. I knew about the raising of the dead. I knew about the walking on the water. I knew all that stuff. But the greatest miracle I heard about was a Sunday morning on the back row of a church when, they, when the guy said, God loves you and accepts you just as you are. Oh, that wasn't a miracle that he could love and accept those other people in church. Oh, you should have seen those people. They were nice. Clothes were clean. Hair was combed. Smelled nice. They were beautiful. Do you know how you look, church? To that stranger that comes in the back door and finds a spot on that back row. And now let me just give you a heads up, and I'm not, I, I'm not calling anybody out on this one, but I kind of sort of am. <laughs> Make sure you leave space on the back row of your church. Because if you're doing it right, and you are, you guys are a good church. I know you guys. There will be people someday that will walk into that back, of that, back, that back door. You didn't invite them. God brought them to the door, and they're going to come in that back door, and they're going to be scared to death. And they're not going to want to come up and sit in these spacious front rows. They're going to hug the back. You need to make space for them. And they're going to be like me looking around at all these nice, happy, smiley people. <laughs> and all it does is just make you, feel, make you feel worse. Because maybe you don't smell so nice. Maybe, you're, maybe you could have done better with your hair. Maybe, maybe you're still jangling from whatever it was you took the night before or the day before. And you just don't feel like you're worthy here. And then somebody will say to you, God loves you and accepts you just as you are. Oh, do you know what that feels like? That morning. I remember the guy, he said, he said, uh, he got done with his little story, his, his, his preaching, and he says, is there anybody here that knows they need to be forgiven? Washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and set free. He said, if there's anybody here that, would, that wants to do that, would you raise your hand? I remember sitting on that back row, and I'm thinking, why is this man being so vague? Why doesn't he just say Bob? <laughs> I mean, who else? Is he, who could he be talking to besides me? And I looked at my life, and I had really messed it up bad. And I looked at the road that I'd been on and thought there's got to be a better road to be on. I did the most courageous thing I believe that I've ever done with this arm. I raised a shaky hand in the back of that church and said, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Oh, friends. I got off the back row, got into my wheelchair, and rolled down to the front of that church. I bowed my head. I'd forgotten how to pray. It'd been a long time since I was on that road. Fortunately, somebody came up next to me and they said, can I pray with you? I said, yeah. And they said, what would you like to pray about? And I said, 
I just need to be forgiven. I need Jesus in my heart. And they kind of led me through that. I confessed my sins. I acknowledged that Jesus Christ was Lord. I acknowledged that he had, had, had died on the cross for my sins, but then rose again for my life. And I asked God to forgive me in the name of Jesus. And I said, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And when I said amen, I became a whole man. A whole man. And then I know it's obvious I don't have any legs and I don't only have one arm. But hey, is it also obvious to you that who you are is not in your shoes? And what makes you whole is in your heart. And that there is a place in your heart that only Jesus Christ will fill. Only Jesus. Come on, adults. Come on, friends. Only Jesus. Oh, I, we try other things, don't we? <laughs> we try other things. And they're not all nasty. I mean, some of them are. But there's other things that could arguably be say, well, this is good stuff. This is, it's just, this is positive. I need to do this. I mean, it could be like your career. It could be your relationships. It could be all kinds of things. It could even be called ministry, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and what happens is, it becomes the thing, the big thing, and it crowds Jesus out, and it takes a center, and what happens, and then that, that messes it up. It messes it up. Because what happens is, we lean in on it, and it always fails us. Eventually, it always fails. Are we adult enough to admit these things? until we put Jesus back where he belongs. Put him right there. There's a place. It just fits. fits. He's the only thing that really fits. And it goes right into the core of who we are. It goes right into the center of our being. It's what everything gets filtered through. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. He's never left. He's never failed. And my life changes. I began to deal with my handicaps. Change my attitude. I don't get often accused of having a bad attitude. I have bad days. <laughs> but like I say, that's, that's common. That's, you know, that, that happens. You just don't want to keep stringing them together until they become your pattern. Change my attitude. Change my self-esteem. Now, folks, when I look in the mirror now, I do like what I see. I like the way I look. Rolled past the mirror before driving over here this morning. Stopped. <laughs> Said, whoa, Bob. You are looking good today. Oh, not because of the nice facial hair. Not because of my nice shirt. I like the way I look on the outside because now I like the way I am on the inside. Change my prejudice. I don't put other people down anymore. Everybody deserves the same dignity and the same respect. Everybody, friends. Everybody. Like I say, you do not have to accept their behavior. 
but I think that you do need to give them dignity and respect as a person. And I quit using alcohol and other drugs. Been alcohol and drug free for a long time. You see, I told you earlier, God loves you and accepts you just as you are. And there's some places that I, I make that statement and, and people kind of squirm. They want to give me a little pushback on that. Hey, he loves you and accepts you just the way you are. And he loves you so much, he doesn't want you to stay that way. He loves you so much that now that you're willing to surrender your life to him, put him in the center, he's going to do some stuff. He's going to change you. Everything you surrender to him, he will give you something better back. Everything you surrender to him, he's going to give you something better back. My life changed. Six months later, I'm back at that church, same church, down in front of everybody, in front of the church. It was different this time, though, a little different. This time I brought the friend that brought me the first time, and I brought her down to the front of the church, and I married her. Her name is Darla. <laughs> I call her Hun. We've been doing our best, following Jesus the best we can for 42 years together. And the vast majority of that, we've been traveling around the country, the world, sharing this story in one version or another. God took me off the road that I'd chosen and put me on the road that he chose. And life changed. You're here this morning. You're in this room. You're online. And somewhere along this story, something hit you. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, I'm not claiming any of it. You might have heard stuff I didn't even say, to be honest with you, because the Holy Spirit is working in you right now. And there was something this morning that touched a chord in your life. And you're beginning to wonder about the road you're on. I want to give you an opportunity to change course. I want to give you this opportunity to maybe deal with some of these handicaps. These handicaps, I know that there are some of you that you never left that part of the message. You're still back there at my opening, opening thing because you're thinking about yours. You're thinking about that attitude. You're thinking about that self-esteem. You're thinking about that prejudice. You're thinking about this controlling behavior. And you don't feel good about it. I got some really cool stuff for you. Today. I got something really cool for you. You know that cross? I don't know if you can see it online or not, but there's a really cool cross right up here. It's a symbol of our Christianity. It's a reminder of the, of the, uh, of, of the crucifixion. It's a reminder of the, of the resurrection. It's really kind of a key image in our Christian faith. But you know what else that cross is? 
It's a really good hat rack. You can actually take your handicap right now and you can put it on the cross. Just put it on the cross. You'll take it. Now, he's going to really not want you to turn around and grab it and put it back on again. You can deal with your handicap right now. You can deal with your emptiness right now. If you feel something has taken the place of Jesus in your life, you can get rid of it right now with a prayer. Would you bow your heads for me, please? I'm going to ask you right now, and even, even online, some, for some of you online that are watching online, it's almost easier for you to do this sitting on your couch than it is when you're in this room. Because when you're in this room, you're thinking about what other people are thinking about you. You're thinking about, if, 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 if I respond to this and somebody sees me, that makes me vulnerable. And you don't like that. You know, at home, you're on your couch, you know. You got the cat there or the dog there, and, you know, they don't care. They love you unconditionally anyway. And that's what we're talking about. At this moment right now, you can find what we're searching for. You can find acceptance. He loves you and accepts you just as you are. You can find somebody that you can talk to through prayer. You can tell him everything. You might as well. He knows it anyway. Get it out. And you can find unconditional love right now in a prayer. If you're here this morning, and we're going to start with the simple. You have never asked Jesus Christ into your heart or you have, but he's kind of gotten shoved aside now, and you've let other things become the core, the center of your thoughts and your being. This morning, if you're ready, would you want to go ahead and say a prayer that would bring him back into the center, back into your focus, ask him into your life to be forgiven of your sins and washed and cleansed? If that's you this morning, if, if you're here in the room, could you just show me that by raising your hand and saying, I'm going to be on that prayer this morning, Bob. going to be in that prayer. Those of you at home, same thing. You know, just that simple act of just lifting that hand off of your lap and just putting it up a little bit in the air, that's a really cool first step. That's really going to give you some strength for the prayer. Okay. Thank you. If you're here this morning and you're dealing with a handicap, it's keeping you from being who God wants you to be, and you are sick and tired of being crippled, Are you willing this morning to put that handicap on the cross and let God begin to make you complete and whole? If that's you this morning, could you just the same thing? Just simply raise your hand and say, I need to deal with this today, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. At home. Thank you. All right, we're going to pray. Here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray out loud. You can make your own choice if you want to pray out loud or not. I encourage it. I do, we do a lot of ministry. Half of our ministry is with the Amish communities in the Midwest, in the, in the Mideast back there. They just have taken a liking to us. 
Trust me, they're not praying out loud when I do this. <laughs> but it's okay. God's hearing them just as well as, as he hear, will hear you. It's up to you whether you repeat after me or just kind of repeat in your heart. We're going to first start with this thing about getting Jesus back into the center of your life. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for my sins. I'm sorry that I made you do that, but I need to ask now in the name of Jesus, would you please forgive me? Please wash me and cleanse me. Jesus, I want to follow you. Guide my path, guide my steps. And I ask all of this, Father, in the name of Jesus. And Heavenly Father, I know that I am crippled. I know that I have handicaps in the way that Bob described them this morning. I know that I have things that I have brought into my life that are, that are not letting me be who you want me to be. And I'm tired of it. And this morning, I want to take that handicap and I want to put it on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for taking it. I'm sorry for the lashes and the beating that you took to pay for it. But give me the courage to not turn around and grab it and put it back on again. Give me a step-by-step -step plan to become who you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, give God a hand right now. Now, we appreciate you. I appreciate you here in the room. I appreciate you, those of you that are, are watching at home. I encourage you to take the next step, which means get involved in a body of believers. Get connected in some way so that you can begin to feed off of each other and help and guide and direct each other in the way that God wants you to go. Dart and I thank you. We appreciate your support. Trust me, it does really help us to go from, uh, from here to there. Okay, and we do appreciate that. Thank you. Larry, Pastor. There you Amen. Go. Praise God. Praise God. Good mm. word. <laughs> Good church. <Amen. laughs> Good God. We're blessed he's here, aren't we? It was, what a joy. Wow. Stay with me, would you? Let me pray for you, would you, as we go. Would you lift your hands today? Jesus, I pray that you bless this church as we go today in your joy and strength. Give them grace for every step they take when they leave the building. In Jesus' name, amen.